Good morning, church. This is Romans 9.30 through chapter 10, verse 4. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith? Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them, for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. I'm sorry. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Thank you, John. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, Great seeing everybody. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if I didn't get a chance to meet you, I'd love to say hi. If you if you do want to connect into the church and like you know get to have somebody reach out to you and say hi, welcome. Like uh, like Jennifer alluded to, like we um, I hesitate to say this, but there's no wallflowers, right? Like 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 we believe that the body of Christ is is known and and to be known and and to um, and to live life uh, together. And so, um, anyway, we've got great cards uh, up on the walls over there, and you can just throw them in the offering box, and um, I'll reach out to you, or somebody will reach out to you and say, hey, and see how we can walk alongside you in life. Um, this morning, we are continuing on in, in Romans chapter 9. Uh, we're actually finishing up chapter 9, and I have to, you know, we're, as, as John just read, right, it, we're going to go past chapter 10. Uh, the divisions, the chapters, and the verses came much later than when Paul was actually writing this, and so um, I would have put chapter 10 marker at uh, 10:4. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it'll we'll kind of see as we kind of walk through this kind of why that why that is that way. But um, uh, before we jump in, let me uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time, and um, we just ask God that you would convict us this morning, that as we read your truths, that we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't stand outside of it, wa- reading and, and, and judging others, but that we would see it, your word, as a, as a mirror, reflecting truth, reflecting ourselves, our true selves. And we ask, Father, that you would um, just give us honesty to ourselves and, and help us to um, see what you have for us. Um, the relationship that you want to have with us, the one that we just sang about, Father, is, is something that um, we don't, many of us struggle with, and it's easy for us to put you into a predefined um, box and to um, dismiss you and, and to try to just live our lives without you. And so we just ask, Father, that this morning that you would convict us, open our eyes, and help us to see you for who you are, a God that loves us and created us and rescued us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, there's some scattered around. You can grab one. Um, there's a big stack of them back there. You can hop up and grab one, or you can, um, you can open up a Bible on your phone. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV. The verses will be largely uh, on the screens, unless I mess up. Um, but for the most part, they should be. All right, so this week, right, we've been, well, the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been walking through um, God's um, sovereign purpose, 
in creation, in redemption, and rescuing, right? Like all these big, big concepts, and, and frankly, we've struggled with them, right? Because it's difficult to understand God's sovereignty, and how do we package that with his love? And, and, I, and I hope that as we've walked through this, you've hopefully been um, challenged, either, either on, on one side or the other, because it's, it's easy for us to, to grab onto the love and to dismiss the sovereignty. It's easy for us to grab onto the sovereignty and dismiss the love. And I'm going to throw a third one in this morning, and this is justice. <laughs> um, it's that God is perfectly just. So as we unfold these things, we reveal these truths about God, and, and those are what we hold on. And, and when we can't connect, when, when it's this this, I, I picture it in my mind as like a Venn diagram. I don't know if that's how everybody else does, but anyway. But it's like it, where these three overlap, and, there's, and there's, there's probably infinite more, right? But that's who God is. And we just have a hard time like kind of finding the middle, right? Like we kind of we jump around and we're trying to bounce around there. And so what I want us to do this morning is we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull us back into Zephaniah, which is probably not a book that you go to that often. But um, we're going to start off here, and I, I just... What, what we just sang, that last song we sang, echoes what we're going to read here in um, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. I just want you to hear this for what God says of his love for us, how he describes it. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Can you just, like, here we are worshiping God, right? And it's not, it's not saying that God's going to worship us, but he is so pleased to save you, to rescue you, that he sings over you. You guys, you guys get this? Right? Like, some, some of you have a hard time singing in here, right? Because probably because you're a dude. I don't know. I like, I get it, right? I don't have a voice that's uh, anything worthwhile. And I sit up front and the only one people that can hear me is uh, probably Jennifer. I don't know. I don't know. Can you hear me? Uh, sorry. Um, but, but, but that's not the point, right? Like, um, I've never been a part of like uh, European soccer, but I've watched it. And you guys are familiar with like all the chants and stuff that they do? Like it's, it's, it's legit singing, and it's, and everybody, like, it's cool. It's really cool. It's very unifying. It's very, it's very singularly focused as to what they're doing. And so take that, export that, or any concert that you've been to, right? You don't care. Um, if you know the words to whatever musician you're going to, sing, going to watch, you've probably paid so much for the ticket, you're going to sing along, Right? And so in the same way, right, we worship God, but in, the, in a similar way, God is singing over us. He's rejoicing over us. That's his love, okay? So don't, so don't go down some path where you start to question God's love. How many of you have had a song written about you or for you? <laughs> I haven't. But we all have. God which is super cool, right? And then, and then turn over to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is his sovereignty. He is the image of the invisible God. It's talking about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen to this. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Like, they hold together, right? Like, without God holding this universe, his creation together, it, it obliterates. It's been, this is our sovereign God, right? So in the same way he's, he's singing over us, he, he's also working. He's also sovereignly holding all of creation together and orchestrating and, and uh, um, sovereignly orchestrating the events of his rescue. Like, these are two just great, like, it's amazing that this is who our God is. And, yet, and so as we try to, like, bend our minds to try to fathom an unfathomable God, we're going to struggle, and that's okay. God wants us to go to him and struggle and say, I don't understand this piece of it. Show it to me. Help me understand this piece. Help me understand this. Help me understand this part of your character. That's what God wants us to do. And so I, I just, I hope that in your small groups, as we've kind of been bouncing back and forth in, in Romans chapter 9, and um, I hope that that's where you're going to, because there's another place that's like, yeah, I just can't figure it out. I just, I'm just going to leave it to be whatever. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's lazy. It's lazy. Pursue him. Try to understand it. It's okay. It's okay if you never figure it out. I got a math degree. I never figured it out. I pursued it. Do the same. Pursue. Pursue God. Pursue understanding him. Paul is continuing in Romans chapter 9. And he's, he's pursuing this, right? So Paul's a theologian, right? He's a, he's a Jewish theologian. Like he comes from a background of, of quite a bit of knowledge. So, don't, so, so realize that that's where Paul, um, that's what his history looks like. And so he's asking these very critical, very rhetorical questions Walking through God's sovereignty, okay? And what he's done up to this point is he's, he's walked through God's sovereign purposes and that he's, he's, he just chose Abraham and he chose Israel, right? And, and he's made these decisions and he's hardened Pharaoh and he's, he's doing things. He's doing things and he's doing things in your life that are part of his sovereign plan for you individually. And so... In, in one sense, as we're walking through this, there's this God who's doing these things. But what Paul is going to now levy is he's going to look at this and he's going to say, but it's not just God that's doing these things. You're doing things. Israel's doing things, right? His, his, his original like, question is, why isn't all of Israel saved? That's the perplexing thing for Paul. That's what he's walking through, right? And we've been walking through this, right? He goes, he goes, God, God chose Israel, he was using Israel, and then all Israel wasn't saved. It, explain that to me. And this is where he goes through the love and sovereignty and walking through these different pieces. And so what he's now going to do is he's going to say, these are all these pieces, but it wasn't as if Israel was just sitting there getting swayed around by the waves. No, no, they made decisions. They did things. They made wrong decisions. And that's what he's going to show us this morning. And it's super, super cool. Because it's not that God tricked them. God didn't say, hey, you're going to be my chosen people. But you've got to make sure you're doing this. And, and if, you, if, you, if you miss it, if you miss the turn, well, it's not my fault. This, that's not how this worked. 
God didn't trick them. God didn't change the rules. The rules were always what they were, always the same. And we're going to see this, and this is what Paul is going to present here. You see, at a very fundamental level, we're going to talk about this morning righteousness. Um, we talked about this back in Romans chapter 3. So we're going to kind of draw back into that just a little bit. But what we're going to see is that Israel thought that they could get their own righteousness through their own efforts. That's it. That's, that's, that's where they missed. That, that was the term, right? And we're going to see this as we go through this. God goes, I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to make you righteous. And Israel went, I'm going to make myself righteous. And that's the turn that they made. That was the wrong turn. And frankly, that's the turn we make often. And so that's what we're going to dig into this morning. So Romans chapter 9, verse 30. <clears throat> Paul says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles, the non-Jews, right? Everybody that's not Israel. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. Like they were just living the good life, right? <laughs> they were... They didn't know God, they didn't know Yahweh, they, didn't, they weren't chosen by God, they were, just, they were just rolling. And he says, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who, who if you have your Bibles, I would underline this, pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. So that's his question. He's like, did the rules change? Because how did the Gentiles, they didn't get the law, they weren't chosen. How did they get righteousness? And Israel didn't. Like, Israel, what does it say? Pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. Okay. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on here. I wasn't planning on spending any time on here, but I'm going I'm to I'm pause for a second. I need you to listen to me very carefully, Okay. I'm not, I'm not going crazy here. Not everything that's, that's written is a statement of truth. The Bible is scripture. It's inspired. It's all God's truth, okay? But the... I should have thought through how I was going to say this. But... Uh, <laughs> now you guys are like, ah, oh, jeez. Where did I come? So that line... They pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. The law does not lead to righteousness. But that's what they pursued, right? Just because it's written, okay? Oh, man, I totally shouldn't have gone down that path. I'll tell you, I'll answer it on, on YouTube. I'll, I'll explain where I'm going with this, okay? Um, oh, man, sorry. I apologize. Anyway, I hope that doesn't sound, sound weird. If any, yeah. Moving on. Trust me when I say this is God's inspired word. I trust all of it. There's no errors in it. It's just that some of like the way, like the poetry, and um, you know when, when David says you you uh, you know when Je how about that when Jesus says my God my God why have you forsaken me did God forsake him no right it's so that doesn't mean that that, that that's not the point of the passage you guys with me a little bit there we're gonna move on so you just don't think I'm a heretic. I'm preaching blasphemy up here. Should have should have listened to myself and not not said it. All right, so it's about righteousness. How do you get righteousness? Both of these, he goes. The Gentiles got righteousness. The Jews did not. 
Not all the Jews did. They were, Paul's premise here is that everybody is pursuing righteousness. Doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, like, like there's, there, righteousness is the thing. And so the question is, is what is righteousness? And we spent a lot of time on this in Romans chapter 3. And he's saying like, the Gentiles didn't pursue righteousness, but they got it. So like the question is, is how do we get righteousness? What is righteousness? And why does it matter? Okay, so that's where we're going to kind of kind of anchor here for a second. And really, I, I, need you to, I need you to think through this. I'm going to say something else here that you guys might, might squirm a little bit, but this one I thought about ahead of time. God does not require you to be a good person, to be really nice, to be the, 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 the coolest person ever, and to, like, don't cheat on your taxes, um, and to always have a smile. He does not require that. He requires you to be perfect. He requires perfection. Hold on, okay? We'll get there. You've got to listen to the rest of the sermon, okay? He requires perfection. Righteousness is perfection. It's that we are in a right relationship with a holy and perfect God. Okay. He requires us to be perfect. God is perfect. He is holy. When we think about heaven, we think about no tears and, and joy and peace and all of this stuff. Why is that? It's because there's no sin. Sin's the cause of all of that, right? So in the presence of God, heaven, right? Heaven's not a place, not a cloud you're floating on, okay? Heaven is dwelling in the presence of God. And so when you're in the presence of God, guess what you cannot bring with you? Sin. So if you're going to be in the presence of God... You must be righteous, perfectly righteous. Question is, how do we get that? And this is what the world struggles with. This is where the world goes and goes, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to work hard at it. I'm going to just try to be good. Do more good things than bad things. That's what the world says. That's what the world's conclusion is. I'm going to, if there's a God, I'm just going to hope that, I've done, that the scales are tipped in my favor. And that's what the Quran says. That's what Mormonism says. That's what every other religion says. Do more good than you've done bad. And maybe, quite possibly, perhaps, God will choose that you are righteous and he'll just pass over your sins. But God cannot do that because God is what? He's just. He's just. And so sin isn't just us playing around with dumb things here. Sin is rebellion to God. Sin is us worshiping ourselves instead of worshiping God. Sin is rebellion. You see, you see where I'm connecting these things? We're going to see this unfold, right? Where he goes, if, if you're going to be in my presence, I am a just God. So I have to punish your sin, and I can't have your sin dwelling in my presence. And so therefore, you must be perfect. So how do we become perfect? How do we become righteous? And what did Israel think? That they could pursue it through the law. And the Gentiles, they just got it through faith. They found the shortcut. We're going to explore that, okay? All right, let me support this with some words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20.
Everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount. I love going to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. because Everybody seems to stop before they get to it. Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, those who were the religious elite, right? Those who are seen as being like holier than thou. They never sin, right? They've, they've got everything cleaned up. They've got it all figured out. Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. You, unless that happens, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What's your plan? When Jesus says this, what do you think everybody did? They looked around and went, eh. Well, I guess I better find another job. What, what, is, what do you do with that? What, what do you do with this? You see, the, the, the title of the sermon, which I never talk about the title of the sermon because I don't, really don't care, but what you'll see that pops up on YouTube is the anti-gospel. That's what this is. When you hear Jesus say this, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. The direction you go to solve that problem is either the gospel or the anti-gospel. It's either good news or it's bad news. That's it. There's two ways, and we're going we're gonna to walk through that. Go, go forward to verse 48, Matthew 5, 48. Jesus has a, a, a double whammy here. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not a translation problem. You can't go to another Bible that's going to say something different. These are Jesus' words. You can't say this was Paul making up stuff. This wasn't the church that that decided these things. These are Jesus' words. Twice. Peter says it again. Paul says it. Like these are over and over again. And so the question we have to wrestle with is what is your plan for perfect righteousness? And if that makes you squirm, that means you don't know the gospel. If you do know the gospel in here, you're probably saying, thank God for Jesus. Because that's the difference. So let's go to, back to Romans chapter 9. 31. Look at what, um, so where it says, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. The law was never intended to lead to righteousness. It was never the point of it. It was never, God wasn't sitting there going, here's the law, here's the offerings, here's the sacrifices, here's the rules, and if you do these things, and, and God has some sort of level of expectation. If you do all of these things, then you can dwell with me in heaven. But if you don't keep all of the law, right, then, sorry, you just didn't make it. Where's that bar, man? Like, like that's, a, that's a high bar, isn't it? And see, this is the sad part. So many people in the world hear this, right, because they don't, they don't hear the gospel. They hear this and they go, If that's what God demands, I'm out. If that's who God is, if if God has such a high bar, the only people that can make it are lying to themselves. There's no way anybody even exists that could do that. 
and you would be correct, except God himself. And so that's where the Jews took the wrong turn. They went, I can do this. Just we're going we're gonna to make sure we don't bust any of these laws. And we're going to take the law and we're going to put a little padding on it. And we'll just make sure that none of our people bust these laws. And so we're going to add some extra laws on the outside to make sure that we don't actually infringe on the law that actually matters. And so this is why Israel ended up having laws upon laws upon laws upon laws upon laws and sacrifices and sacrifices. But that wasn't the purpose of the law. The sacrifices. What was the point of the sacrifices? You think God, you think this creator God is like, I just want to see blood. If I see blood, then I'm going to forgive your sins. Is, it, is, is that, like, that's a weird God, right? You guys, I mean, let's be real here for a second. Get, get out of your, like, Christian, like, kind of just bubble here. That's weird. We, we look back at, like, civilizations, and you're like, blood sacrifices? Weird. We've evolved beyond that. What was the point? The point was God was saying, your sin matters, your rebellion matters. They're not just little sins that you're just playing around with. They are rebellion against the creator God. They are you saying, God, I know you say I shouldn't do this or I should do this, but I know better. And God goes, well, but this is better for you. I got it. Thanks. And so what's the cost of our rebellion? Death. Death. That's, that's the cost. And without any rescue plan by God, guess what we get? Death. We will die. That's it. But God chose to rescue us. Now, it doesn't mean he just passes over these sins. These sins still matter. So what is he showing us in all of these sacrifices? That your sin matters. Not only that, but they, they sin, they bring in a sacrifice, they kill this super, I don't even know that I could have done it. I got to be honest. I used to hunt. I don't hunt anymore. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not saying you can't. I just, <laughs> I don't know why I say things up here that I don't have it written down. Um, I'm not going to go any further on that one, but like I used to dove hunt a ton, and uh, I grew up doing it, and I and I, I love doing it. But like I went, um, I guess I was like 25, and I went back and did it. I was like, it's oh. <sighs> a little like I don't know if you've dove hunted, but there's like you got to like finalize the the kit anyway. Um, it's just a little hard to do anyway. You can see me afterwards if you care to know the details, but. But like to, to bring in this lamb, this unblemished lamb, this perfect goat, like the best one, you bring it in and you're like, well, I'm, I messed up and so this is what I got to do. And then, and then you, you kill the lamb, you sacrifice it, and then you walk away. And probably within like 15 minutes, you're like, ah, I got to go find another lamb. Wouldn't that just weigh on you? Like, I don't care if you're a hunter. Like, by all means, hunt all you want. But i got to imagine that that would have to weigh on you over time of all of these animals, right? 
I don't work for PETA or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, independent, like, that would, that, and why? Why did God do that? Because they should have been going, like, I wish, I wish there would just be, like, I could just do this once and be done. I wish, like, I could just do one sacrifice, and it would cover all of my sins. And God goes, yeah, hang on, hang on, we're getting there. See, that's the beautiful part. That was the point of the law. Worship of God, to recognize the depravity of our sins, the fact that we can't make ourselves righteous. The law was intended to show us our sin and our hopelessness without God, not to make us a firm path to righteousness without God. And that's where Israel took it. Look at um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. This is Paul writing again. He says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. He's like, If obedience to the law could have made you righteous, then then it would have. He's like, Anecdotally, I know myself. I know you. Paul's like, I know me. I know everybody. Like, the law's not doing, the law's not making anybody righteous. (laughs) The law's just creating obedience. And we even read this in the Psalms. If you turn back to uh, Psalm 51. And there's several of these where the Jews missed, um, they, they, they got into a rut. They just were doing the things that they thought that, that God wanted them to do. And listen to what it says in uh, Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, don't bring me another lamb. Bring me your brokenheartedness over your sin, over another lamb. You see the problem? They had separated. They were just just walking the walk, doing the things. And God goes, no, I want your heart. I I want you to understand why the sacrifice is there, not just to do the sacrifice. I want you to understand why you come to church, not just to come to church. I want you to understand why you're reading Scripture, why you're praying. Not just to do it. You see the problem? But it's easy for us to get into just the, the habit. Just, just do the thing. Check the boxes. And then you'll be good. And God goes, no, I want, a, I want a broken and contrite heart. I want you to humbly come before me and worship me and say, God, I'm undone by my sin. And I need you and you alone to rescue me. I need your son who died on the cross for my sins. I need that. That's what God wants for us. Jesus tells this incredible parable in uh, Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 9. And it's super familiar. You guys have probably read it before, but I I want you to, we're going to kind of walk through this. And 
we're going to see that Jesus is saying the same thing. It's the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says, uh, Luke 18, 9, he, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Just, there you go. That's, that's, <laughs> this is where he's going with this parable, right? What's the thesis statement? I'm talking about people who trust in themselves. That they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, a broken and contrite heart. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Justified. You guys remember this? Remember these discussions? justified. He was righteous before God. He was, he was deemed just by God rather than the other. The Pharisee, not justified. That's what he's saying. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, what does trusting in themselves, right? It says, he told this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous. That's it. It's the same thing. It's the same topic. They trusted in themselves for their own righteousness. And what does Jesus conclude at the end? It's their pride. It's their pride. That says, I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus to die for me. I can do enough good things and do fewer bad things, and I can work my way to heaven. And God goes, no, you can't. What makes you think that you can't? What in all of creation makes you think that that is how that works? And over and over again, we read the same truth. And Jesus says, no, it's the guy that has the broken heart. Jesus is not saying you can sin all you want because you won't have a broken and contrite heart. You won't say these words, the same words that this tax collector just communicated, would you? If, if this tax collector was like, I love collecting taxes and, and being an extortionist and, and doing all these things. Then he's not doing this in this parable, right? Are there tax collectors that did do that? Yes. Were there Pharisees that were obedient to the law in the right way and understood the sacrifice in the right way? Yeah. Yeah. I think Nicodemus probably was. Right? But, but, but forget that. This is you. This is me. <laughs> This is where sometimes we, we read these stories, we're like, oh, there's just such great little stories. Tell them to my kids. No, it's not the point. So there's two, there's two anti-gospel ways that we, that we live out life. Well, there, yeah, there's two anti-gospel ways, and then there's the gospel way, okay? So the first one is minimum obedience, when we trust in ourselves, we just go, What's the, what do I need to do? What does God demand of me? And if he wants me to do it, just tell me what to do. I'll obey, and we'll be good. And God goes, I have. I need you to be perfect. <laughs> if you're going to be in my presence, you need to get rid of all of your sin. That's the minimum. 
It's also the maximum. He says that's the minimum. Don't think that there's, there's some certain amount of things that you can do. That's a works-based salvation. That is not the gospel. And, but we can settle into that nicely, right? It's very easy. We can do a little reading, do a little praying, come to church, kind of be a generally nice person. And we can sit there and go, I'm a pretty good person. I think God's going to save me. What are you doing with your sins? Well, I think I've said this before. Why do we think, why do we see this in the terms of scales? Like, I think that's how mentally we're like, more good deeds than bad, right? If I offend you, if I'm a, just a complete jerk to you, but then the next day I bring you a cupcake, are you like, we're good now? No, I'm still a jerk. I still, maybe, maybe I even apologize. Apologies don't take away what you did. You can't take away what you did. Your sin is still there. All of your sin for all of your life is just this lump on your back. Like, you got it. You're carrying it around with you. And you're like, yeah, but I'm doing some good things. Noted. You still have all that sin. You still have all that rebellion. You still don't. What have you done to fix the things that you can do? You can't. So there is no, there's no idea that there's minimum obedience and that, that somehow you're going to be declared righteous if you just do a little bit. Or just do the, the, what's required by God. The other one is super obedience. If I just work a little bit harder, God will be pleased with me. If I just, I just need to read more. I just, I can't, I'm, I missed a day of prayer. I missed a day of reading. God hates me. The circumstances in my life, I, I don't know what just happened, but God's punishing me because I didn't do the right things. And, and I got I to gotta really make sure that, that I appease this wrathful and just God and Listen, you can't handle God's wrath. If you had God's full, we kind of talked about this a little bit last week. If you had God's full wrath poured out on you, you would not exist. You would be obliterated in a moment. But God's still just. So where does that wrath go? It goes on the cross. It was poured out on Jesus, poured out on the Son of God. That's where you get your righteousness from. That's where you get the payment for that lump of sins that you're carrying around. Jesus takes those from you. God determined to take those from you because you have no mechanism to get rid of them. That's it. And so both of these, minimal obedience and super obedience, are works-based ways of trying to attain righteousness. They're both anti-gospel. They're both horrible news. And yet, this is where you see religion. And it's where we get easily tempted into. Why? Because of our pride. Because we think in super obedience that we can do enough, and minimum obedience that, that we're good enough. <laughs> Both of those, God's going, no, you're not, and no, you're not. 
Do you understand? This is what God's trying to communicate to us, that neither of those work. And then look at what he says in Romans, um, back in Romans 9, 32. It says that the, the Israelites did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul actually goes back and, and quotes uh, two different verses in Isaiah. I encourage you to go back, research that. It's pretty cool. It's a lot of digging. But, um, but, he, but Paul's going back, and he's going like, this is Jesus. He's the stumbling stone, right? Israel had the Messiah coming through Israel. Like, they rejected their own Messiah. Why? Because they thought that they could attain righteousness without God's help. That obedience to the law was the solution. It's the anti-gospel. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Should be familiar verses. Romans 3.21 but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How, does, how do we get this righteousness? How do we become perfect? Jesus says we got to be perfect. How do we become perfect? Faith in Christ. This is why people will always accuse uh, Christ followers, like, you're so exclusive. <laughs> Why can't you just think, like, all of these religions have, like, some element of truth, and, like, you know, why are you guys so just, it's your way or the highway? Well, because it's, because there's, <laughs> because there's no other way to get rid of your sins. Nobody else thinks that there's a way to get rid of your sins. They just think that if they do enough good things, like, God's just cool with it. That, that's the other solution. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through faith. And what does God do? And this is where we, we broke this down back in Romans 3, right? But I'll just reiterate it. Jesus is the Son of God, incarnated, right? Like, came to earth to rescue us. Like, God came to earth to rescue us. Like, that's it. And he lived a perfect life. And, and so his life was counted, his righteousness was counted on our behalf, just deposited into our account. Why? Because you did something? Because you did minimum obedience? Because you did super obedience? No. No. Because God loves you. God went, I'm going to count you as righteous. So when God looks at you, if you're a follower of Christ in here, when God looks at you, he sees you as perfectly righteous. Because what happened to your sins? Jesus not only lived a righteous life, he also took on your sins, right? Paid the wrath of God. Took your sins away. So you're both righteous and sinless all at the same time. Guess what? Sounds like you can be in the presence of God. Sounds like you're going to go to heaven. What'd you do? You believed in Jesus. You placed your trust in God instead of what? In yourself. So that's the difference. Trust in God. Trust in God's rescue plan. Salvation. The gospel. Good news. Trust in yourself, bad, bad news. Lots of work, lots of striving, lots of failure. And not salvation. 
Turn back over to Galatians, chapter 2, verse 21. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Jesus Christ died for no purpose. If the law could do it, if your obedience could do it, then you don't need Jesus. So, by implication, if you are saying here, if you're sitting there this morning, you're like, yeah, I don't think I need Jesus. Okay, that's fine. Good luck. You need to live a perfectly obedient life, whatever that looks like. So, when you realize that you can't, by all means, come on back to Christ. Because that, that is the purpose that Jesus came here. To rescue us, to die for us, to take our sins, and to give us his righteousness. So go back to Romans chapter 10. So then Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is, the most, this is a pretty devastating passage. He says that Israel had a zeal for God. Like genuinely, they loved God. They had a zeal for him. They were, you know, spiritual and they, they understood that God existed. But it wasn't according to knowledge. It wasn't according to what God actually was doing. They got, they got duped. Their own sin, their own rebellion convinced them that they didn't, that while they were having this great zeal for God, they started to trust in themselves. You guys, this is, this is not just Israel. This is us. This is us. How are you trusting in yourself? Because this is serious business. And he says here, it's not as if Right? He says they have a zeal for God. It's not like they hated God and they're like, I hate God and so I'm going to do this on my own. No. They thought they were doing the right things. They just didn't. They, they were just clouded by their own sin. They were clouded by their own rebellion. And we can be too. It says in verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's my prayer for us. That we would all submit to God's righteousness. It doesn't mean you're going to walk out here and you're going to be perfect. It means you're going to walk out here knowing you're not. <laughs> right? Like This is a hospital for the sick. Right? This isn't a museum of perfect people. Right? Like, we all come in here because we're jacked up and we know it. And so we go back to God. We go back to the cross and we go, this, this is where I get my righteousness from. Not my polished life. God isn't pleased with me because my bank account has X amount of dollars in it. God isn't pleased with me because, you know, I have 2.2 kids and, and a house and a, you know what I mean? Like, that's not, no, you're clouding it all. You're clouding the whole thing. 
They did not submit to God's righteousness. Man, those kids are having a blast, which is awesome. Um, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And then look what it says in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It, he's not saying like the law was like pointless or cut short, right? Jesus says he came to fulfill the law. I mean, like picture the law on this timeline and Jesus is the end of it. Jesus is where like righteousness actually happens. Like you can't just stay on this law forever and think that you're going to get closer and closer to God. And that's frankly, like that's what, that's what the Jews believe, right? Like that obedience and sacrifices and offerings draw them closer to God. I, I, I spent a lot of time on, on some of these websites. It's, it's really fascinating. Because it, but it's sad. Because like, no, it's not going to bring you closer to God. Like, I mean, sure, it might feel spiritual. It might feel good. But you need to submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. That's why we rejoice in it. That's why we celebrate. That's why we worship. Right? We're not in here singing a dirge, right? We're not in here like, like mumbling and just going like, yeah, I guess I guess I gotta go to church and do this thing. No, we should be celebrating because this is good news. This is why it's called that. Because God did everything for you. Everything. He did everything for you. And so when, when Paul sets this whole thing up, right, and he's, throughout chapter 9, he's been asking these questions. Well, what about Israel? How did this happen? And the first part of it was like, well, God's sovereign. God's doing these things. And he's making decisions and election and all of this stuff, right? And so he's, he's talking about God's perspective, but now he looks at your perspective, and he goes, through your eyes, yeah, no, the, the people in Israel that rejected the Messiah, they trusted in, them, in themselves. So don't think that you can like take these things and just separate them and say, well, it was God's doing it, or it was our doing it. No, it's, it's and. And we could go down this whole path of like, how does your free will coincide with God's sovereignty? And I'm not going to open up that can of words because I don't have an answer to it. But I do know that you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility, and that's not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in God but to trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. God's responsibility is to do everything that's necessary in order to make it all work out. And that's what he's done. Let me pray.